Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Not A Clone Podcast. I'm your host, Bahomi Fawahimi. I believe everybody should have the opportunity to live a more spiritual and individual life. This podcast is an outlet where I bring people onto the show and gain from their experiences and life and what they've been doing so that we can give you messages that will help you with that direct message. Before we get to today's episode, a couple of reminders that we are on social media at NAC Podcast, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Go ahead and check those platforms out. If you want to see any episodes that have been in the past, you can go check them out in your local podcast player as well as notaclone.com. Please subscribe so that you can get your content every single Sunday. And also, if you're willing to donate to this podcast, please go to notaclone.com slash donate. Even $1 will help make more content for our listeners. Today's episode is with Sidney Frodsham's father, Joe Frodsham, who is the president of Career Management Partners. We sat down and we talked about careers and how it could benefit you if you want to change your career or you're not doing something that you're passionate about. I hope you enjoy this week's episode of Not a Clone. Here with Mr. Joe Frodsham, president of Career Management Partners. Joe, thanks for being here with me today. Glad to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, all right. Let's go ahead and dive into this episode. This episode is about careers. Uh, we have a bunch of questions that we're going to answer today. Uh, what career path you should take, all the necessary precautions you should um, have in terms of choosing a career. But before we get started, Joe, uh, I know careers is a huge passion of yours, and you work with a lot of people um, just around the United States on trying to help them figure out what they want to do. So how about you just tell me a little bit more about what it is that you do? Yeah, uh, careers is a unique and compelling passion of mine. Um, Obviously, you know, most of us find ourselves in the midst of a job slash career fact, uh, it's where we spend the majority of our adult lives, mm-hmm. at work or oh, yeah. some form of career. And when we're not there, we're thinking about it. <laughs> that is so true. And beyond just where we spend our time, it's how we identify ourselves. I mean, certainly in Western society, if you ask a person, who are you, they will often lead with their career. I'm a lawyer. I'm a doctor. I'm a, I'm a mailman. I'm a mid-level executive at a Fortune 500 company. Whatever mm-hmm. it is, that is core to our identity. Um, it's where we spend our time. And so it has a huge impact on our life. And yet it really came to the fore as a big issue for me about 15 years ago when I was living in Michigan. Okay. And while living in Michigan, uh, for whatever reason, everywhere I went, whether it be at the movie theater, in line to get ice cream, having lunch, everywhere I bumped into someone, we'd start talking. And within a few minutes, they'd tell me how much they hated their job. And Ah, and it'd be like, it, it would be everyone all the time, full throttle. It seemed like... It seemed like at the time everyone hated their job that I bumped into for months. And I remember talking to a colleague of mine, Bill Gargiulo, about this. And he has having the same experience. Everyone seemed to hate their job. And in, in our own dialogue as, as good friends and as colleagues and in some roles where we were leading talent and leadership development at Whirlpool Corporation at the time, we realized that it was a pretty ubiquitous common phenomenon, this whole uh, distaste and dissatisfaction and existential angst with one's career. So we thought we'd study it. We mm-hmm. thought we'd take it on and look at it. So we ended up spending two and a half years uh, doing research. We did uh, surveys. We did uh, a variety of synthetic research and so on and so forth, really to try to understand this whole issue of, of careers. Um, some of the conclusions we came up with are pretty interesting. One of them, based on our survey, we found that at any given time, only 9% of people are so fully and completely satisfied with their career. 9%. 9%. Now, here's where okay. it gets even worse, all right? 9%, but at any given time, 
most people, that's a variable state. So they're satisfied to really jammed about their career. But if you ask them six months later, they're not there anymore. New boss, new job, mm-hmm. new role, yeah. something's happened. And so they it's kicked them down the road, right? Mm-hmm. And only 3% have sustained success and excitement about their career year over year, year over year. So we identified those 3%, represented those 3%. We went off and interviewed them. Okay. And we tried to understand what do they do differently that from everybody else that uh, makes them so unique that they're part of the 3%, not the 97%. The 3% that in our definition, operational definition, have a great career in that they truly love what they do and they're being rewarded and supported for it Mm -hmm. consistently year over year. And there's a lot of things that came out of that. And I won't bore you now with them, (laughs) but but we, we ultimately wrote a few books about it, right? One was called Make It Work, Navigate Your Career Without Leaving Your Organization. And the most recent one was Don't Dread Monday. Okay. Um, with our website now, don'tdreadmonday.com. So it's a passion of mine. It's been a point of research and it's evolved into uh, certainly my career, which is CMP, Career Management Partners, where that's part of what we do is we help thousands of people every year figure out their career. Okay, so that's a part of what CMP does. What's the other part? Well, we have uh, three practice areas, right? So our head office is here in the Dallas area. We've got Mm -hmm. an office in Chicago, Atlanta, New Orleans, Fort Worth, Charlotte. And Kansas City, just recently, with partner offices all over. And we are focused on three practice areas. We do search. So we go out and fill roles for companies. They pay us to go out and do that. And we help get fit right through targeted assessment and really using psychometrics and the science of assessment to help people and companies get the fit right. So we do go out and fill roles. That's practice area one. Second one is talent development solutions. So companies will bring us in to do executive coaching, leadership coaching, training, and assessment like 360 assessment for development. So that whole practice area is about how you develop your people to be effective. And part of that is, you know, where their passion, but where their skills or interests or abilities and how do we develop them? Mm -hmm. The third area is uh, outplacement. So companies will pay us to come in and help people uh, who they are laying off. So our first client in that area is Fujitsu. And they're still a client. And we have um, hundreds of uh, companies now that will ask us to come in and help those people who who they lay off. And uh, it's a wonderful service because they're in a vulnerable state. (laughs) They look at that as a negative. We do try to recast it as an opportunity to get deep, be very deliberate in your career choices. And we give them the online tools, research, coaching, and all the support they need to transition into a new career. Um, So that's kind of what we do. We also have a branch called don'tdreadmonday.com, which is for retail. It's not businesses. It's those individuals like you uh, all the way up to that seven-year-old that are trying to figure out their career and make it work. And and, uh, so we have a book and we have coaching and so on to support how people do that. Uh, Okay. All right. So um, since we're talking about careers, I have the first question I have is, do you think there's a difference between having a job and having a career? I think there is. Okay, what is the difference? To uh, you? A job is a means to an end. The, the career is an end in of itself. It's just it's like it's a difference between going to church and having a faith. Oh man! All right, all right. Yeah. So sure. I go to church, check the list, I'm off in my day, or do I have faith? Mm-hmm. Do I have? Am I pulling a paycheck, or do I have a mission in life? That's the difference to me. The job is how I make money. A career is, is the purpose of meaning that I derive from my work. Okay. So when I I got a job, that usually indicates to me that it is has minimal meaning and it is a largely just a financial arrangement. When I've got a career, that means I define myself by a certain type of work that has a lot more meaning and mission to me than mm-hmm. a job. So that's just from working with a lot of people I think there's a big difference. Okay. I think it's very telling, actually. Yeah. yeah. What I tell most people is I think the job is embedded into the career. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's, a, it's only like a small portion of what the career entails because the, you like what you just said, the job, that's just the money. I'm trying to make money. I'm trying to make ends meet. I'm trying to survive. But the career is an extension of that telling myself, okay, there's more to life than just the money part. There's the uh, there's the enjoyment. If there's the interaction that I have with other individuals and just 
having a bigger sense of purpose in the world. So absolutely, I think that's a great way of framing it. Um, you're right. You'll have a job, but if I characterize what I do as a job, not a career, that says a lot about what it mm -hmm. means to you. We absolutely, and some people have a career and don't have a job. You know, Ooh, uh, yeah, I true. mean, in fact, one of the trends that we see is when people are, you know, find themselves reduced, right, laid off. Uh, they don't immediately, not everyone immediately wants to find another good job. They want to explore things. They want to use this as an opportunity if they have the ability to and some time and the financial means, maybe to look at, do I go semi-retirement? Do I go consult now? Do I go start a franchise? Do I have an entrepreneurial option? I, uh, maybe I take a pause in my career and stay home with the kids for a year. You know, what? And so I, what I find is people looking for alternatives and having revenue streams to support the lifestyle slash career that they want. Okay. You know, the level of independence and a variety of other things. Is that, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, that, that does make sense. So what should be considered when you are trying to decide what career path you're going to take? Yeah, you know what? At the heart of it is your heart. Mm -hmm. I mean, it sounds whooshy and smoothy, <laughs> and it sounds like, oh, like now let's just hold hands and, you know, like sing Kumbaya or yeah, something. You're going soft on Yeah, we're right going now. really soft. <laughs> and it's like, it's, it sounds so trite. And I used to laugh at it, too. I remember when I finished uh, my, I got an undergrad, you know, master's degree a long time ago. And I remember uh, just thinking, just get me a job. Who pays me money? I'm on the way. Right. As long as it's not yeah. unethical or illegal, I'm in. Mm -hmm. That was it. And that's all it took for me. And I didn't, no one ever encouraged me to be introspective and really think about what got me juiced ever. And then, you know, 10 years in, I realized I don't like most of the work I've done. And I had to do, I would kind of hit the wall a few times and realized I hated hating my job. Mm -hmm. And it was a job. It wasn't a career to me. And so, you know, I stopped. Looked in, looked out, of course, had these kind of experiences with Bill Gargiulo in Michigan, et cetera. And it changed the course of my life. But I had to reach in and figure out what made me tick. And then I realized that 3% of folks I talked to about, that 3% who love their job slash career mm -hmm. and are 100% committed to it, all of them start with a heart. Okay. They unyieldingly have the level of self-awareness to know what their, what we call career needs are. Whether it be independence, they have a career need for impact, they have a career need for the aesthetic of things, they have a career need to manage large groups or manage nobody at all. They were very, very um, self-aware around their career needs and unyielding in, in, in getting those needs met. Because they realized that when they get those needs met, they were their best self. That's when they could add the most to others, the most to the organization. And that sometimes meant saying no to promotions. Sometimes that meant... You know, uh, you know, uh, actually kind of carving their own role within an organization that wasn't there before. It meant a lot of things. But what we found is the organizations and people rally around those 3% who show the will and the commitment and the fortitude to be that way. Mm -hmm. The world will organize around it. It's truly amazing. And so I, I would say what you have to do, you have to know what are my core needs are? What do I love to do? What would, and, and to get that, we actually have people ask themselves two questions. First question you ask is, if I had five years to live, healthy, healthy, but if five years from this day I was going to pass away, how would I use my time? You've asked me this question yes, before. I, <laughs> yes, I would. You, you have them list down, they'd spend their time beyond the family and friends and, you know, what, oh, maybe I'd travel or maybe I'd get that degree still or maybe I'd learn a music instrument, whatever it is mm -hmm. you do. Maybe I'd garden and have the biggest garden. Whatever it is you do that brings you joy. Then the second question is, okay, you're going to live another 50 years with unlimited wealth. And let's put a number on 150 million. You've got 150 million and 50 years to live. How would you use your time? You don't have to, quote, work. And then they fill in that list of what they do there. What is on both lists are the things you love. And then... What you ask yourself for each one of those is, what do they do for me personally? So if I love gardening, travel, taking pictures, and carpentry and building homes, uh, do I have to do those things? Well, that'd be nice, but all of those are meeting a certain set of needs, and that could be for aesthetic and impact. So 
we talk about it in the books, right? Don't dread Monday and make mm-hmm. it work. But yeah. the, the simple exercise of what do I love to do and then what do they do for me personally get to you, you get to your very unique core needs. And those core needs, once you have that, there's a big aha experience. You look back and you say, every time those core needs were met in my job slash career, I was happy. The degree to which they weren't met, I wasn't happy. Mm-hmm. You will see it. And then what you have to say is, I have to get those needs met in my job slash career. That level of introspection, just that exercise and little work um, can, un what I say is, reveal your core needs. And then you got to go out and you know, create what we call work in the outer wheel, right? You have to network. You have to obviously uh, develop skills perhaps that you don't have before. You have to, you know, stay contemporary and do all those other things. But, you know, you can make a living in this market doing anything you love to do if you do it well. You just got to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Growing up, my mom was like, hey, you should be a doctor or a pharmacist. And then my dad's just like, oh, hey, you could be an engineer like me and all that stuff. Sure. And I mean, I was really good at math and science when I was in middle school and high school, but there wasn't really anything backing me wanting to do those things. And a lot of people ask me, so they ask me, why do, why do I do music? And what is it about music yeah. that makes you so invested? Yeah. I tell them it's the one thing in the entire world that I know that I'm good at. I know that I'm good at it. I enjoy doing it. It The hours pass by when I'm doing it. I am fully invested in it. And that's when I, when I, when I tell myself that I'm like, that's love or something. The fact that I can do this hours on end, like the lines like in time are just blurred together to the point where like, I'm just, I'm just living and I'm just doing what I want to do. And I think more people out there need to really take time to just sit down and think about those two questions that you just asked and figure out what is it that they really love about this life that they've had and how do they want to contribute to that part of life that gave them so much joy. Does that make sense? Oh, it makes a ton of sense. So so your experience was you find flow. You lose yourself in, mm-hmm. in the music. Yeah. Right? Now, if we explored that further, is it is it creating music? Is it playing music? Is it listening to music? What aspects of that really work? Um, it's listening. I tell people this all the time. I can't listen to music when I when I study mm-hmm. or when I read a book or anything because my mind is just constantly thinking about how everything interacts with one another and like, oh, that was a nice chord, and like, I go to the piano. I'm trying to figure out like, what was that? That was that was really really cool. So. It's listening, uh, it's teaching, because I want to be a music teacher, because I want the next generation of whoever it is, I want them to, to be able to relate to what we experience and what we feel as musicians, because I, it's something that I can't like truly like describe, it's just something that you have to experience as you're going into it, and then after a while, once it's just like, I've, I've had so many kids that I teach where it just clicks and they're just like, I get it. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I totally understand it. And you see them put all their time and their energy and their passion into it. And it's one of the coolest things ever. Yeah. So really what you love is the nuance of it. It, it, it does something for your spirit and your soul. Oh, absolutely. And, and I also think, what I, I'll put different words to what I heard you say. You love the aha experience. Mm-hmm. You love the reframing and elevating people's appreciation and thought. Yeah. And and leading them down to that means a lot to you. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And I mean, I, I, get, I can get like even more nitty gritty. Like, so in music, things are written in like different keys. So like, let's say like we're playing a C on the piano and that's the basis of a song. And then I wanted to change it to a different thing. So it would sound like it's the same like melody. It's the same tune that you know, but it's, 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 it sounds different because it's in a different key. So... I actually, I think I did a paper on this or something, but each different key, because there, there are 12, 12 keys on the piano, like 12 different ones. People who are music people don't judge me right now. It's, it's been a minute. I haven't thought about it in a second. But there are 12 different keys on the piano, so there are 12 different keys that you could have. Mm-hmm. And they can be in major or minor or augmented or diminished. Or it's like you can change them however way you want to. So... I associate different keys with different emotions. So like the key of the key of C, for example, 
I'm just like, all right, it's it's all right. Like I hear it all the time. I hear people singing it all the time. Now the key of E flat though, that's my key. That's the key that that hits me close close to home. If someone writes music in that key, I will literally just start crying just because I think it's so beautiful. And I don't know what it is, but and someone did research on just like how these different pitches in like the sound spectrum just conveyed these different emotions to different people. Now, if you're playing the key of F sharp, I'm going to punch you in the face because mm-hmm. it just, it feels uncomfortable. It feels weird. And I just don't like it. So, but I talk about things like that with people and they're just like, man, you really, you really thought about this a lot. I'm like, yes, I have <laughs> because it's, it's really important to me. So. Yeah. What you know, it's interesting. It wasn't just what you said. It's how you said it. You lit up just now. <laughs> You lectured me and lit up, and it wasn't just what you say. You, your your countenance was different. Your smile was bigger. I saw all the chiclet teeth going. I mean, you looked. Yeah, for all the people who can't see me right now. <laughs> yeah, he's, he looked lit up. I don't know how he sounded, but he sounded and looked really. So what I look for is the bright eyes and the light. Mm-hmm. When people, when I see that light and they go on and they're absorbed, they that's what they love. Mm-hmm. Now, for me to tell you, go off and be an engineer after I saw that, unless unless I see you light up when you talk about, you know, electrical engineering or something, then it would be the wrong move. And the 3%, let me legitimize this. Yeah. The 3% of people who are radically successful, meaning that they're rewarded for what they're doing and love it year over year, are 100%, well, at least the vast majority of their time is doing the lit up stuff. Yeah. And so now what you've got to figure out is what is it about that? It's like having an impact on others, the feeling and emotion that you get from music. Now you'll make, you'll, you'll do very well if you just stick with, now you might have to adapt and flex where you teach, how you teach, how you make it happen. Um, being willing to, you know, everyone I talk to has, has had different jobs in the midst of a career and you'll figure it out and it might not exactly be the path you can predict. Mm-hmm. But as long as you're true to doing what you love and meeting those career needs, you will be radically successful. I promise. Awesome. So the next question, this this is a great way to segue into this. So once you find that passion that you love and like you're absolutely certain this is what you want to do, do you think it is necessary to have a college degree to go into that career that you are so passionate about? No. <laughs> okay, you got to tell me why. <laughs> no, it, it always depends. Mm-hmm. I, I can give so. I have two degrees, and you know, I'm glad you went and got a degree. I don't think that's for a minute a waste of time. I think it's a great use of time, mm-hmm. unless you went off and got an engineering degree. Because yeah, what yeah, I've heard yeah, yeah. from you, then I would say you just wasted your time. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I I I will tell you right now. I and I talked to a really good friend last night who's got a couple of kids, and he's telling them. Uh, get a degree in something you can use. And I told him I disagree with that. Get a degree in what you love. Um, it, when I Today I talked to probably 23 different people. Not one of them do I have any idea whether they have a college education nor what their degree was. It meant nothing to me. I am never asked what my college degree was in. Ever. <laughs> ever, ever, ever. What was your college degree in? My undergrad was psychology with a minor in sociology with a lot of business classes. And I got a master's degree in organizational behavior. You're the first person I've told that to in three years. No one cares. <laughs> they don't care. Huh. I mean, so I, I've got, we've got people in our firm that work, uh, who do wonderful, who don't have a college degree. We have other people who do have a college degree. There's nothing wrong with it. It's, it's a, it sometimes is the entrance into a professional setting, but I would say make sure that you organize your education around what you love to do. If that's an associate's degree, so you can go off and program and code and and create that software gaming program you want. If that's going off and getting an associate's degree. If it's going off and getting a PhD. All of it is legitimate. If it's based upon you, the self, you've done the work to understand what I love to do, what I'm committed to do for a career. Mm -hmm. Or the education needs to organize around that and it looks very different for every person. I really believe that. I think it's important to just tell the listeners, just people who do decide to just go get a college degree and everything, take your time with it. I understand that it's a lot of money and sometimes it's cheaper to jam pack everything into the four year thing. But I know a lot of people who are doing the five year, six year thing because 
college professors, they require so much of the students now mm. to the point where like their workload, they're just like, you got to spend X amount. Let's say you got to spend uh, 20 something hours um, a week on this class in order to pass. Now, if you have five or six professors saying that same thing, you do all that math and you, you literally don't have enough time in a week to get everything done that you need to. So I tell a lot of people, like, why don't you just, why don't you just like extend it just a little bit? And a lot of people do just because that is what they want to do. But there are a lot of people who like they squish it into like four years and then they just hate themselves and they're miserable. And then by the time they get out of college, it's like, I don't want to do this anymore because they have the wrong um, they have a misconception of what it really what like what it's supposed to be once they're done with school. Yeah. So oh, I agree, and and they get through it, and then what's worse is you start, then you start a job like so many people, and you don't really like it. We our Don't Dread Monday site, we do coaching for people and, and different populations. One category that we do probably is the the category that comes to us most is that thirty year old, roughly twenty nine, thirty two who went to got a bachelor's, even got a master's, maybe has a law degree, a lot of them do, and they hate their job. Mm -hmm. And now they're trying to figure it out. And they just hate going in. They they are where all those people when we were 15 years ago in Michigan were, right? And how do, if, if it's true, and it is, I'll show you the data, the 97% of people, well, any given time, 91% of people are not completely happy with their career. That's a, that's a real problem. Obviously, we're systemically doing something wrong here. Mm -hmm. And and I would say where we're systemically is in, we're not requiring people to understand themselves well enough to know what they love to do. And then organizing their, quote, career, education, everything around that. They dive into a traditional path until they realize it doesn't work for them. And so um, you're right. I love great advice. Don't kill yourself in college. Enjoy the ride. If that means extending a semester or two, go for it. Mm -hmm. But I would say even at the at one point, if you're in school, try to figure out what classes, when am I happy in this? Ask those questions and do a little introspection so that you, if you need to make a career switch, now's the time to do it. Yeah. Uh, and in terms of being in school slash being fresh out of college and trying to get the career started and everything, how much should people be willing to sacrifice the career if it's truly what they want to do well that's a i mean i i actually i think that's a very individual question i mean i can tell you it's my belief system is is it's god first and mm -hmm. family and your faith and um get all that right and your your career is an important part of who you are but i always love it when people when i ask who you are and they say oh, i'm a dad or i'm a mom or i'm a sister or I'm a member of my church, uh, and on the career is something second or third or fourth. Mm -hmm. uh, I love it when, when they identify themselves beyond. I think we've put the importance of job, career, and that form of success too high on the pedestal, too high on the totem pole. It's important because that's where your time is spent. Mm -hmm. But success should not be defined as how much money you make and what your title is. That leads people to 91% hood of not enjoying it because I'm after this title that I thought would make me happy. Mm -hmm. or the, the paycheck that really is pretty hollow after a while. Yeah, I knew. I know I had to personally uh -huh. sacrifice God for a while just, just because of my faith, being a Seventh-day Adventist and going to church on Saturdays. Mm -hmm. So in the music world, mm -hmm. just extracurriculars that we have to be involved in requires me sacrificing my Saturdays to do these things. Um I mean, I was a point in high school where I had to choose whether I was going to be in band or go to church, and the it wasn't as bad because it wasn't the entire year, but it was like a section of the year for marching band where I just I couldn't go to church because I had marching competitions and it was an all day affair, and my mom was upset about it for a really long time. I told my mom, I told mom, mom, this is what I want to do. Mm -hmm. I really want to do this, and. I think if you manage it well enough and you tell yourself, and you have to constantly tell yourself, all right, this is what's going to happen. I have to accept the consequences of what it could do to me 
spiritually, mentally, and everything. And you just mm-hmm. got to like keep it all in order. So that way I don't lose myself in what I'm doing. And don't get me wrong, I did lose myself. But I found my way back mm-hmm. after all of the craziness was happening. And I, I'm glad that I took the time to deeply analyze myself. And I, to- I looked at myself before I got into college. Mm-hmm. And I was going to church and everything was fine. And then I looked at myself like halfway through. And I noticed that there was a shift mm-hmm. in the way I was thinking. And it had to do with music. It had to do with the people I was around. And it, all the different factors. And then I look at myself after the fact, now that I'm done with school. And I'm telling myself, okay, I don't have an excuse mm-hmm. not to make these things a priority now because I'm now in a part of my life where I'm going to be employed around June or July of this year and I'm in January right now. I have the opportunity to tell myself this has to be a priority. Mm-hmm. Like God, church, family, friends, mm-hmm. like I got to make that the priority now mm-hmm. so when i introduce the career into my life that i've been trying to do when i introduce introduce it um later on then it's not gonna cover everything up again so no i love it well one is just like those people have a bad career until it hurts too much and they ask questions about how do i have a great career you had your own existential moment or two. Oh, man. That was bad. Right? <laughs> yeah. right? It's like, why, why am I not feeling the same way? Not feeling like I want to feel... And you had to come back and say... And to own it, right? Mm-hmm. And it was... I had to reintroduce myself to my faith and to some practices that I feel are meant a lot to you, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so if, if you... If it's career at all costs, that's too big a sacrifice. Yeah. It's, it's not worth it. Please yeah. don't do that. Yeah. I mean... I, you, I really mean that. Be a really good, um, you know, I hope you're a member of the community. I actually have this presentation. I make. I think we all have five lives. We have our community life. We have our family life. We have our spiritual life. We have our work life, mm-hmm. right? And and I do think those lives all need, you need to check the box and all those looks different for everybody. And But you need to be able to check all those boxes. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we've talked about Finding what you're passionate about, getting into it, make not finding out like what the priorities are, balancing everything. So let's say everything is balanced and I love what I do and everything's great. And now I'm laid off from my current employer employer. So what do I do? If that's if I'm if I'm at that point in life and I'm just like oh no like it's over I didn't have any contingencies like mm-hmm. in, in my back pocket so that everything will be fine so what do you do? Let me get very tactical. First of all, emotional, right? We we help hundreds. We we helped with a layoff today, in which eighty people were laid off. Oh man. Right. So they had, we handed them off, assigned them to consultants. They're getting online with our research and our training and all that other stuff. And each one of them will experience it at a different pace, will but roughly go through the same path. Grief, pain, denial, rejection, some more depression, making trying to understand it. Then there's some recovery, trying to look to the future. And then ultimately they're in a good, if not even better state. But that valley of death you go through is very real. And what I found is there's three experiences that that almost simulate the same response. Death of a loved one divorce and being laid off they all um being laid off for some people is like losing especially if it's a career it's a company a place they've cared about and have been to a long time it's like losing a loved one mm-hmm. um whether it be a spouse or someone again through through passing away it's a really traumatic event now what if you find yourself in that situation first thing i always say is is let yourself go through the emotions you know, park it where you're at, have someone to talk to, friend, neighbor, colleague, you need to consult. You really, really do. And if there's some depression, you know, most companies have a, that will let you continue to use your employee assistance plan and a program, phone people, talk it through, deal with the emotions. Um, and if, and if you're really feeling bitter and, and harsh about it, talk it through and don't go off and start interviewing until you've gotten this out of your system for a few days. Because it will come up, it will show up, and you won't interview very well mm-hmm. if, if you're feeling this way. Yeah. 
Um, I, what I've also found is that as part of the therapy, it is take, taking steps, albeit very small ones sometimes initially, forward. Start looking on your resume. Start thinking about the future, not the past, and how bitter or mad you are. And that often will be like, what jobs are out there? Who can I talk to? What? And so when you when you start kind of fast forwarding and thinking forward, you move through it, right? Your, your face and your attention goes forward, not backward. I think that helps a lot. But then when you can reframe it, the, at a tactical level, you got to find out financially, how long can I go without a job? Mm-hmm. Now, I know our firm, we actually offer free financial planning for everybody affected. So they can answer that question, right? I'm, I can go a month, I can go three months. Uh, or maybe if I take money out of my 401k, I can go six months. How do I do that with the least financial impact or tax impact? So getting those questions answered tells you how much time and float you have, right? Mm-hmm. And then And then you can start reframing it as a really cool opportunity. You really can. You can really say now's the time to do a little introspection, to do some self-assessment, and to see what's out there. Uh, you can find another job, but what you really want to do is create a career. Mm-hmm. If you're in one, then how can I even make a better? If you haven't had one, now's the time to create one. And and there's a lot of tools and capability. That's what we do in Don't Dread Monday. Whether it's us, there's other great service providers out there. Getting some help is absolutely worth the investment if you can get it. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it does. Um, so let's say I've been laid off and I'm like I'm going through all that drudgery and then I'll get to a point where like I'm like, okay, I, I wanna do something different mm-hmm. and I'm gonna go through the right channels to make sure that I get there. Now I know a lot of people when they're trying to go and do something different, they're not willing to put in the work or they get to a point where they're like, oh, this opportunity is here. It's not what I want, but it's here. And, you know, I, I could just do it that for a while. So is it is it a good idea to let go with like what's available or do you keep drudging through that drudgery until you get what you really want? Well, it depends, right? I, I, I think as once you get a glimpse of the kind of career, you get excited about possibilities, you want to make sure you're moving that direction. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's a transition job. I'm not going to be unrealistic. I, I mean, people will take, yeah. people got to pay the bills. Yeah. yeah. And they got to, you know, and, and so I think you're doing music lessons right now. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's You're doing music yeah, lessons yeah, yeah, yeah. and that's, it keeps you in music. It's not exactly where you want to be, but it's keeping you in the game, yep. right? Mm-hmm. And that's moving the right direction. What I get worried about is if they take a role or take a career action that moves them completely the other direction that isn't serving their vision, then we have a problem because they will they will experience drudgery. They ultimately won't be as successful. They won't be as happy. So you've got to take steps that move you in that direction. Sometimes there's risk. And if you have the ability to say no to a job and keep looking, then I would encourage you to do that. If you have to take a job, but it's a job that helps you in that direction or and you're committed to it, you know the steps you're going to take, you're okay. But you've You've got getting a glimpse of your core needs, being committed to it, and kind of moving in that direction is what it's all about. Now, I have found that this is the thing interesting about jobs. The, the, the first book we wrote was Make It Work, subtitle, Navigate Your Career Without Leaving Your Organization. All right. Now, the I'll be very honest. The publisher made us put that subtitle there. <laughs> <laughs> because I didn't originally have it. Because I actually think periodically it's good to leave an organization, not... But I think on average, people leave too quickly for the wrong reasons. What you'll find is that people will hop from company to company and the same issues will appear wherever they go because wherever you go, there you are. And they think it's out there, but it's really them. Um, And so fundamentally, we often leave too quickly, but sometimes it's okay. But the navigate your career without leaving organization fundamentally is a good premise because you can, once you're in a company, it does talk about in the book, and not you have to buy it, but I, I do know that you can create, create a different career in any company you tend to be in. Um, and, and it really is understanding what the needs are, what your needs are, shaping a role, positioning yourself, networking effectively, getting the right skills. So a, a, a job in a company doesn't have to be your final job. It can mm-hmm. be the first step in creating a really interesting career there. Okay. Yeah, it really can. All right, cool. Um... Do you have any questions for me? Yeah. So here's my question for you. All right. All right. 
what are your career needs? What, what absolutely do you need to have in your career for you to be radically happy and successful? Oh, man. Well, my career is music. So in order for me to be happy, I need to be in an environment that is willing to work towards the same vision that I have for kids. Uh, in education specifically, I tell everybody it's always about the kids. It's always about meeting the needs of like what they need at that point at that point in time. Because a lot of teachers, they just kind of go in. They're just like, oh, it's a job. I'm here from eight to five. I'm going to do what's required of me, and then I'm going to go home. And I personally don't believe in that message because the kids can see through the BS at the very beginning, like the first day of school. If you're not excited and if you're not willing to be in it with them and not um, make it a fun and exciting and a more enjoyable experience, um, then they're just going to fall out and you're not going to have any traction or any control. And specifically with music, a lot of people do music because it's fun. Mm -hmm. It gives them an adrenaline rush or like some different feeling in their body in comparison to whatever whatever else they're doing. And music is like all around us. It's, it's, it, it, you listen on the radio, you listen to your um, on Spotify or iTunes or anything. Like I know so many people who music is just around. It's in your elevators when you're just waiting. It's it's in your it's your when you're waiting room. Um, it's the theme songs for TV shows. It's mm -hmm. the background. It, it's just it's always there. It gives substance and sustenance to so many things in life. And when you can't enjoy that and you don't put your all into it that was the point wow man you know what so so here's another observation i'm going to echo what i not what just what i heard but what i saw and between and under the lines here. <laughs> every time you talk about music it's an emotional committed experience yeah for you. absolutely you're committed and and there's right wrong good and bad black and white and, yeah and and it's it's an emotive um, um, religious, I'll say, it's it's a it's a religiosity kind of experience for you. It doesn't mm -hmm. replace God for you or yeah, anything yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I'm not saying that. <laughs> I hope that's not true. But it, no, but, no, 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 no. But but it's there's there's and so for you to bring joy to your, it's brought joy to your world, and you wanted to bring joy to other people's world. Exactly. So they got they got to see music through you. Yeah. Right? Well, they have to see it <laughs> in a specific way that's unique to them that gives them that same feeling and that same enjoyment. Cause the, the, we have so many people on, on like on the spectrum of music. Like we have people who just want to play an instrument just for the sake of playing an instrument. Cause they want, they want that cool talent that they can show the friends and the talent show. And then you have people all the way on the other end of the spectrum. It's like, oh, I want to learn Stravinsky octet right now. Yeah, it's a it's a really hard octet, by the way. Yeah. Um, and I want to do it this way. I want to nuance it this way. I feel like this is the right interpretation. I don't care what. I, like there are people like that. Yeah, they're just like this is this is my vision and this is what I want it to be. So finding the balance of catering to both ends of the spectrum, you got to make sure that you're in the profession, the the teaching profession, for the right reasons. Um, because if you can't appeal to like everybody then you're doing your job wrong yeah. and i definitely get in the mindset of like oh i love music i i love the specific way it feels that i forget sometimes that there are kids who are just doing it just to have fun they're doing it because their friends are doing it mm -hmm. um it's a social experience band was definitely a social experience for me in high school um and that's okay and you got to cater to those needs as well so for me, it's knowing what the needs are for the students. Mm -hmm. And once you figure out how to meet those needs, then you can start going in the direction that you need to so that you can enjoy it for yourself as well. Now, you know what? Another core need I'm hearing, okay, to serve. Oh, yeah. I, I hear a serve. It's like I, I. It's not to have them interpret music my way. It's to get into their skin and be a service to them. Mm -hmm. That and so I'm starting to ferret through some core needs by what you're saying. <laughs> to feel the joy and emotion of music, mm -hmm. right? To to be able to learn and adjust and have and, and do that, and also to serve. So if you're not in a role that has impact, aha experience, service opportunities, and joy of music, you're probably not going to be real happy. Nope. 
No. And I definitely have been in experiences where either the director doesn't get the ensemble, like they can't read the ensemble well enough to relay information in a decent enough way where they can be engaged. And I've also had people who are like just completely oblivious of everything. Mm-hmm. Like they just, they don't get it. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, why are you here? Why are you, why are you a teacher? Cause clearly you're not trying to meet the needs of me. You're trying to meet the needs of yourself. Mm-hmm. And that's where that disconnect oh, is. Oh yeah. I, that's a great way to say it. I, I because you say, we, you know what your needs are by when they're not met at their extreme. And what I heard you say is those teachers that just punch the clock eight to five and go home, they're not serving others. They're serving themselves. Mm-hmm. They're, they have they have a job. Yeah, they, they don't have, have a job. career. They have a job. They don't have a mission. Yeah, they have a job. And for you to have a career slash mission is about service, helping other people learn and have joy through music, mm-hmm. and that's your motive medium. So make sure you're true to that, right? And maybe I, it, there's other probably ways of getting that met other than being a middle school, high school teacher. Yeah, it's true. It really is. Yeah, I mean. I decided to join. See, I haven't been on music committee in church mainly just because I haven't been to a church consistently just because of school and everything. But now that I'm back and I'm committed, I um, I, I joined music committee at church and I told everybody, okay, guys, we're going to make 2019 like a good year for music. Mm-hmm. And that means getting out of our shell a little bit and doing things that we're not used to because a trend at my church is we kind of, to, we tend to recycle the same hymns over and over and over again to the point where we'll pull out, like, let's say I'm going to pull a random hymn out of the hymn book, and they're just like, I don't know this. I don't know this. And they're so focused on, like, the words and making sure that they're not messing up, that they're not really learning what it is. It's just kind of an in-the-moment kind of experience instead of it being a learning experience. And I think, uh, just, just getting a little religious just for a little bit, but, like, we don't go to church to just be complacent and do the same things over and over again. We, we go to the learn. We, we go there to gain experience and just have something added to our lives than what we did, what we had from the previous week. So my whole mission right now is just to get music to a point where everybody's excited to learn something new every single week. And it'll get to the point where, Maybe we get through all 600 and something songs in the hymnal at, at some point because we're super invested in trying to learn everything that everything, every hymn has to say instead of it just being a blind. And then I'll close, close the hymn book and that's it. And I'll be yeah. done. So. Yeah, that's going through the mode. That's checking the box. Oh, yeah, we're supposed to sing a hymn at this point in the program. Mm-hmm. And. That's not passionate. It's not light skin. It's the eight to five. That's a job to sing and not yeah. the, the passion yeah, to sing. Yeah, exactly. You know, it, it's it's interesting because to get a little spiritual, but why yeah, not? Yeah, right? Because yeah. I think there's a spiritual component to every principle of happiness. Yeah, of course. Right. So if if you if your faith is Judeo Christian, if it, say it's the Bible, right? Okay. In a Christian standpoint. Yeah. He had two great commandments, right? Mm-hmm. And the, and the underlying underpinning was love God, love your neighbor. Love. Love is not a, it's something that happens to you. It's something you choose to do. Right? It's an action. Right? You choose to love. Now, if, uh, the opposite of love isn't hate. It's apathy. The, the, the apathy is the opposite of love. It's I don't care. Right? I'm checking it in. Hate is, is, is almost the same side of the coin. It's mm-hmm. I'm passionate. I care. <laughs> Once people check out, they yeah. don't care anymore. That's the opposite of love. That's apathy. What I what I think is a spiritual principle that moves the world, that moves people, that makes change is love. When you're motivated by love, people feel it. It mobilizes energy, people, experiences, opportunities, and success ultimately. Mm-hmm. So in terms of love, because love is an emotion that we feel when we're really diving into something that we truly know is like, all right, this is what I want to do. Now, let's say I have other people around me who are doing the same thing I am, but they're not expressing that same love. And of course, it's going to be different from person to person, of course. But it's to the point now where like, it's just negative energy. And yeah. it's getting me to the point where I'm like, 
if if this whole thing I want to do is just surrounded by other people who just view it so like demeaning, like they're just demeaning everything and it just doesn't feel right, then is it really worth staying in it? So mm-hmm. how do you how do you combat that? Yeah, I I think you have to speak truth. I mean, it's funny when follow his example, all right? New mm-hmm. Testament, right? He's on earth. It's amazing. And I, I mean, I, I didn't think I get spiritual and I don't pretend to be a, um, what, a scriptorian. I'm not. <laughs> I'm really not. But for his reason, I'm going there with this. I, you know, he, he, he called the Pharisees and Sadducees some names. He called people out in, in an effort, I think, to call the truth out, right? I, I, I think that you have to show the way, you have to call out the way, and then you have to make choices whether you want to still engage. You have mm-hmm. to be in an environment, you know. I do think I do think every person brings one of three charges. They bring a positive charge, a neutral charge, or a negative charge. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, how do you feel after interacting with them? Do I feel better, the same, or worse? Um, and ultimately, you do want to be a positive charge first and foremost. You got to start with yourself to everyone you interact with, and then I think you want to judge others not by who they are and what their name is and anything other than how do I feel when I'm around them? What are their fruits? Mm-hmm. And, and I, is it a positive, negative, or neutral? I, and, and, you know, I do think the challenge you run into in organizations is you often can't choose your team. Yep. You cannot true. choose yeah. your team. You are put in a team wherever you end up landing your job, whatever school is, is fortunate enough to have you, right? Yeah. Um, you'll probably have a mix of folks. Absolutely. <laughs> You're going to have a mix of folks. Oh, yeah. Now, one thing we've been, you've got to love what you do. Right. Mm -hmm. And that will mobilize and excite. And some people may get jealous. But then we've often taught you got to love others, too. Right. Mm -hmm. You do. Um, Because if you start engaging in the hate and anger and all that other stuff, that's a derailer for your career in the organization. Ultimately, Mm -hmm. it's bad for it. Yeah. You can see the career just kind of like in terms of like interaction with people. It's kind of like a highway where everybody just stay in your own lane. Now, we're going to have to cross lanes every now and then because collaboration is key in just making sure. But in terms of like staying with your true principles, you don't want to merge into another lane while the car is like right there because that's when you crash and it becomes a big mess. It becomes a huge problem. And then it's to the point where it's like, what do you do? And you can't do anything. It's not salvageable because your car is totaled and you don't want to total your car. So staying in your own lane and doing what you know is right is the best way to approach that so yeah. i totally agree i and and you're right some jobs require a lot more independent team activity mm-hmm. than others i mean i what i know about your role there'll be a lot of you kind of in class as the sole teacher there's some collaboration behind the scenes and, yeah you know with the faculty yeah but on day in and day it's mostly you and the students mm-hmm. right and, and all of them are going to bring a mixed set of charges you know yeah but you you've been told to love them and I do. And I mean, there, there are days, because don't get me wrong, there are going to be days where I'm just like, what the heck is this kid doing? He's got like five fingers up one nostril, and I don't understand how he did that. He's got a toe in his ear, and he's like drooling, and it's gross, and I'm just like... But that those yeah. kids, tell me if I'm wrong, my experience, and you're going to be the experienced guy here, those kids often need to be loved more than anyone. Oh, absolutely. And those kids are causing you problems sometimes, and they're needing attention. Something's lacking there. Mm-hmm. And I mean, okay, so when I was, student, I was student teaching this past semester, and there's this one clarinet player in beginner sixth grade clarinet class. Dude had no coordination whatsoever. And, like, he couldn't hold the clarinet. He didn't have the right, like, face setting or what we call a non-mature. And he was just, he was super behind. And it was to the point where, like, this kid's not going to make it. This yeah. kid's not going to do it. But me being a student teacher... I was talking with my cooperating teacher, and we, we both said, okay, we need to hone in on this kid, and we need to give him all the love and all the care that we can. That way he can't excel. Because this is, a, this is a kid that he forgot his clarinet one day because he couldn't find it. And he couldn't find it because the lights were off in his apartment. Yeah. And that was just like, yeah. Oh man! Yeah, and that like that when 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 I asked the kid, oh hey, where's your clarinet? It's like oh I couldn't find. It. I was like why? I was like oh well, it was it was super dark. I couldn't see anything, so I just left. I'm just like, man, he's dealing with some stuff. And then you deal with some stuff, and that's why that's why you got to put more time and energy into 
that kid. And now, when I left in December, this kid is blowing kids out of the water. Like, people who were excelling in the beginning, they're, they're still doing well, but he's caught up, and he's doing just a little bit better than them. Like, he gets it. Yeah. And it's because we put that time and energy into making sure that he got it. Yeah. And now that there's something in his life that he feels more confident about, who knows, like, what other avenues in his life that will change. Well, so. and so what you just did is lit up again. <laughs> okay. So I, 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 I like I like music. No, no, okay. I, I, don't, I don't know if they heard it on the on the uh, podcast here, but he he lit up and he was in his his zone and he was because again your core need would be met. Mm-hmm. Music, joy, music, impact, aha, yeah. development. You you were serving mm-hmm. out of love. Now, if you just like I'm tired of this kid, I'm putting my time in. And, and made it a job, you wouldn't. You, you would not be motivated by love, and he would not have benefited from you. All right. You made a choice. I did, yeah. and I don't regret it at all. No, of course, yeah. no. And and so I hope you remember that and stay true to those core needs and that motivation, and you will be radically successful. I don't know if you'll be rich or not. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I can't promise that, but you will be successful and have impact. Yeah, and I and I encourage everybody who's listening who. Like they have a career, you gotta you gotta find that treasure chest of things that reminds you what you're doing is the right thing, and it gives you joy and it gives you motivation to go to the next day. When I left um, the middle school and the high school, for the high school kids, they gave, they gave me this giant poster with all these notes. It's like, oh, we'll miss you, and you were really really great. But at the middle school, they had so many kids just give me individual notes, wow. and they were just like. You made band fun. You're my favorite teacher. And I'm going to love this for the rest of my life because of you. And that's when you, that's when I start crying. And I don't cry at emotional things. It was weird because I get all these notes in the office. I'm reading it. And I'm, I'm just like, is this dude crying? I'm like, guys, I don't do this normally. I'm sorry. Like, this is a very emotional thing for me. And it's really cool. And that's that's how I know I'm doing the right thing. You are absolutely. And that's worth more than it. Right? Yeah. That's joy. That's happiness. It's impact. Regardless of how much money's in your bank account. Yeah. And that is, that is. So, you know, I, I think you've made very deliberate, thoughtful, mature choices around your career. Um, I think you've experienced the joy of being made out of love and being true to what your career needs are and bringing your best self. I hope when I talk to you in one year, three years, five years, ten years, whatever you're doing, I feel the same thing. Yeah. That you're still lighting up. Yeah. I'm going to hold you accountable for that. Uh, my, and, and that, that's, that's a funny thing, too, because my dad came to our last concert like the high school concert and he saw me on stage he saw me conducting a band he's just like you really love this don't you I'm like that's what I've been trying to tell you for the longest time and you wouldn't listen to me like I know what I'm doing and the fact that I can say that and mean it and I can go to my dad and be like dad this is this this is it this is me and this is what I've been doing and this is why I'm doing it mm-hmm. And I can feel good about that. That's that's what brings me I, I And so your dad might not have chosen this major for you, right? This might have no. not been what he went. No. But I guarantee at this point, he's glad you did. Oh, yeah. He's super proud of me. Yeah. Like when he, when he told me that, I was just like, I did it. <laughs> it's, it's here. It's done. The fighting is stopped. It's great. But then, you know, he'll bring, he'll he'll do the occasional, like, hey, maybe you want to make a little more money. Like, dad, it's not about the money. Relax. Yeah. It's fine. It's okay. Yeah. And you know, and, and it, it isn't. It's okay to make lots of money. And and if that's what you choose to do, as long as you core true to those needs you have, what you're being your best serve and what you're motivated by, you will be radically successful in the most meaningful way. But money's important to one don't get me wrong. You know, just wait till you have some kids. You know, you want to provide for them. Right? Yeah. But you'll be okay. I'm not I'm not worried about that. I appreciate that. Yeah. Cool. Well let's go ahead and wrap up this episode, guys. You know what I normally say. If you leave with one message from everything that we talked about, it's this. Don't be a clone of someone else. Be your own individual self. Thanks for listening, and I will catch you guys next time. Thank you for listening to the Not A Clone Podcast. If you like this episode, 
please subscribe in your local podcast player or listen to any past and future episodes at Not A Clone.